Hello, and welcome back to the GMS podcast. Today, we are lucky enough to have Peter Sanders, our guest. Peter is the chief analyst at Zenita, which is a leading provider of freight market data across the ocean and air industries. And before that, of course, Peter spent around 10 years as the highly vocal chief shipping analyst at BIMCO. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a huge pleasure, John. Now, lots of people know you, Peter, from your many appearances at conferences and more lately webinars. So how does the work you're doing now differ from what you did at BIMCO? Well, uh, in many ways, you can say the one thing that is different is that uh, I now talk only about container shipping, whereas it was uh, very much on dry bulk tankers and container shipping in the past. What remains is that uh, what I tend to seek with my team constantly is to provide trustworthy and reliable analytics into the world of shipping. And that goes all the way from uh, understanding the macroeconomic environment that drives shipping in the end via the current disruptions of uh, the market to where are we heading in terms of, uh, of the longer term picture. But, but very much so, I serve the customers of, of Sanita, which is, uh, which is the world's shippers in wherever they may be found. And, uh, and, and of course, giving them the opportunity to provide freight uh, like a pro getting the ability to not only monitor the markets on uh, 160,000 port pairs, so wherever they do their business, and they can find out if they do better than the market, if they are on par with the market or, or they, they need to improve, and perhaps also where they see themselves positioning, say, negotiations with uh, with global liners uh, when they go into to, um, negotiations for, for long-term contracts if they are not only into the spot market. So, um, yeah, providing insights always for the benefit of the customers. High transportation costs and late deliveries are even prompting some high street retailers to take a punt on shipping Lidl, for example. I think Lidl is the uh, the most recent of the uh, big shippers that have been dissatisfied uh, with the reliability and the performances of uh, global freight forwarders and liners. Uh, and we, we know that from the numbers that we can see that global shedder reliability, that's an indicator of how uh, well performing the global carriers are in terms of matching what they promise and in terms of uh, giving also what they then should deliver. So uh, reliability on a global scale, less than 30%, means that uh, that only three out of 10 ships arrive in time as agreed upon. So obviously, well, Lidl uh, may be the most recent one. We have seen some big American shippers also going into this field where they uh, will come to, to at least some sort of conclusion that uh, I can do better than this. Time will tell only uh, i must for for one at least uh, uh, doubt the ability by uh, say newcomers to uh, to uh, to do it better than the professionals that have been into uh, the inner and outs of global logistics for decades i mean as as appallingly they are doing it right now they are also seeking to uh, to to help and assist customers in whichever form that help may be needed be it with uh, say a global lockdown or total lockdown in in shanghai or be it say with uh, with the freedom convoy blocking uh, the um, say shipment of goods from from canada going into to the us at other points it is a terrible situation in global logistics right now but being being a newbie into this perhaps becoming a ship owner yourself you may just find yourself even further down the queue when they were trying to get in and out of ports. But uh, but I wish them, of course, all the best. And if they hire the right people and are capable of, hire, of doing it, uh, it well, well, I can only wish them all the best. 
You mentioned Shanghai, and obviously the city is experiencing a major lockdown right now. How do you see that playing out? Having a lockdown of Shanghai, which is the most connected port in the whole world, is terrible. And having also a lockdown now that goes into its third week, that was set out inst uh, instantly to be only one week, and with the very very short notice given. Only few people within logistics, but of course also the inhabitants of uh, of Shanghai, was unable really to prepare well for for something like this. I mean, the uh, lockdown of Shanghai is so much more significant than the lockdown in Shenzhen that we have only like a month ago, which was also creating ripple effects on a global scale. But uh, but with Shanghai's position, not only as uh, well the the last port of uh, departure ex Asia. It is also a massively important port for intra-Asian business, the world's largest container shipping market in itself. So I expect this to go on not only for uh, for, for a few weeks uh, until hopefully the lockdown is, is eased. We know from uh, well at 11 uh, April here that, uh, that some areas in Shanghai are just gradually being eased right now. But before we get back to uh, what could be called, say, business as we knew it, at least uh, a few months ago, where, where things were, were moving uh, fairly well in and out of Shanghai. Uh, I mean, we will, uh, we will get to see uh, the likes of, uh, of, of May, June, and, and perhaps already uh, going into uh, to the peak, traditional peak season before we get to see Shanghai once again deliver at the top level that, uh, that port normally do. Mm. And so it's super critical without doubt. And the lockdown isn't only affecting the port, is it? The FT was reporting today that deliveries from suppliers to ports is also being badly affected. So adding a further headache to an already disrupted supply chain. And you are spot on, John. I mean, it's, it's not the port which is a problem here. It is the lockdown predominantly affecting uh, the truck drivers. Uh, that uh, that needs uh, tons of uh, negative uh, COVID tests in order just to move from one part of the city to to another part of the city, and when they go from the manufacturing hubs, as uh, say on the outskirts of Shanghai or a little bit further away, and then traveling into Shanghai, the port of Pudong, etc., it is a mess. So the port is actually operating fairly well because they have their own little bubble out there, making uh, the port workers live. Uh, on, on compounds within the port. So, so we have actually seen that uh, that like of exports have been fairly well performing, whereas the, uh, the imports have come to a complete stop because truck drivers simply can't get in and out of the port. So, uh, so obviously you could get rid of the, uh, say, the outgoing boxes that were already in the terminals, no problem. But when you get, uh, say, imports into uh, Shanghai and for transshipment, that was already, uh, say, clocking up. Uh, so uh, so it's it's beyond that of ocean shipping, uh, but it ties into the supply chain issues that we face end to end. So so this may be most troublesome at the, at the very first mile, whereas uh, you in many cases uh, talk about, say, the last mile when you talk about, say, consumer shipments uh, into, uh, well, the end consumer. But this first mile is, uh, is where the problem really lies right now with the truck industry. Looking beyond China towards the global economy, where are we from a macroeconomic standpoint? I think in terms of macroeconomic development, it is for once dwarfed by so many other factors that have a more significant impact on the, on the global ship markets uh, right now. Uh, 
of course, the uh, the situation in Eastern uh, Europe with uh, with Russia Ukraine crisis, uh, but certainly also the zero uh, COVID policy in uh, in China, and and more so if we move across the pond again to to North America, which is still and will remain for for the entirety of this year and also going into next the the market that drives container shipping. It is the American consumer that decides more than 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 anywhere uh, anyone else. Uh, the temperature of the uh, global shipping markets, um, even though they have high inflation, they also see uh, interests being hiked by the Fed these days. Uh, it seems as if they are still going to support the container shipping market at large. So, so the economic, uh, say, macroeconomic negative effects that we see, mainly in Europe, uh, affected of course by by the situation in Eastern Europe, that is of say little impact right now on uh, on container shipping. I guess the question ship owners and freight clients must be asking is how long can this last? I mean, how sustainable are these rates? Well, global shippers, uh, which which are uh, Sanetta's customers, have really been paying uh, top dollar for, for quite a few years now. But it seems at least in the spot market in, in most places right now that there is a tendency for, for spot market uh, freight rates to uh, to come off. Uh, they are uh, going south right now. We see at least for, for Far East into Europe, uh, rates have dropped by approximately 10% uh, in the early days of, uh, of April. Uh, but, uh, but in other places uh, where the um, container spot market rates are driven by other factors like congestion on the U.S. Uh, East Coast uh, part of, uh, the, uh, of the world, uh, their shippers uh, should expect uh, still to uh, to pay some twelve thousand dollars, and if they are too late or in a hurry, uh, priority shipment fees uh, all the way up to ten thousand dollars per box can be can be put on top of that, and you will still face massive delays and massive disruptions. But in in, in general terms, if we look at the overall market, we have seen container shipping demand uh, go down. Seven month in a row now. If you compare with the uh, the same month in the previous year, so there is some easing in terms of that. Uh, but uh, but going back to uh, to, uh, to to the reasons for for Lidl uh, to become a shipper when all of a sudden the lack of say uh, well performing supply chains, what shippers do right now is of course to seek shelter or hopefully get closer agreements with the global liners and carriers doing long-term contracts where they agree with much more, say, close ties to, uh, to deliver the boxes uh, that would then be shipped, hopefully, on time. Uh, so what we see for, for this year is still strengthening market within the long-term contract base. And I think you may have seen uh, the uh, Senera XSI for long-term contracts uh, growing by 100%, again, if you compare the level of where long-term contracts on a global scale were one year ago. So, so that's the strength that you see in the market right now and where we uh, expect the shippers to, uh, to hopefully uh, get what they pay for in the end in the long-term contract market, whereas we see that slide in, in the spot market for, uh, for at least a year and a half as uh, things hopefully at some point in time also normalize. It's no secret, of course, that uh, rates being enjoyed across the container market has resulted in fewer container ships being earmarked for recycling despite record prices being paid right across the board. So my question for you is, what kind of signals from the market would nudge a ship owner towards recycling rather than, say, further trading of potentially a, you know, an elderly vessel? One thing is record high scrap prices. And thanks for bringing that around because 
in many ways, I have seen, well, I've, I've been in shipping for a couple of decades now, and I've seen over and over again that people, they may rhetorically question how come uh, it not be attractive for owners to, uh, to, to uh, recycle ships at record high demolition prices. And, and, and I must say that they are ignorant in, in believing that is the dominant factor behind any, say, scrap decision by global owners. The one thing that matters is the health of the freight markets. So obviously the one indicator that, uh, that you should be looking out for in terms of assessing when will we start to see long overdue, at least for, for a certain uh, part of the fleet right now, the demolition uh, amongst the container ships. I mean, you should look at low earning freight rates. You should look at a spot market, which could be uh, all the way down to where it was in 2016, uh, for instance, uh, where it was, well, the lowest for, for, for quite a few decades. Uh, all, all liners were loss-making at that point in time. And and I I believe quite strongly that, that you need a sustained level of appallingly low freight rates, simply also due to the fact that, that owners are not in need of cash. They are loaded following two years where the industry in combination have made a hundred billion uh, per annum, two years in a row now. Uh, so so it's not like they, they are short on cash here. So they are trading ships that they have also bought at, at record high prices for quite old skins. In the most recent two years, there's been a dramatic activity in the secondhand market where owners of quite old ships have made a fortune from selling what would otherwise be a scrap ready ship in, into the market. So everything that is capable of, say, carrying boxes is sailing right now and is making bucket loads of money. But if you put, uh, say, a few uh, stats to it from uh, the fleet that is out there, I mean, we have in the container shipping fleet approximately some 25 million TEUs. And, uh, and if we if we were to get rid of all container ships that were more than 20 years old, that would only say mean that 10% of the fleet would be scrapped. I give you that having, say, a built year to, to the fleet is not necessarily, a, say, a good indicator, but at least it gives you some sort of uh, idea uh, of uh, how little, actually, of the uh, demolition market uh, you should expect to see from, uh, from container ships. Uh, I mean, if you are a uh, buyer of uh, ships that are ready to be recycled, I think you should still be looking at, uh, say, different ship sectors than that of uh, container shipping. Um, I expect markets still to perform quite healthy for yet a, another couple of years. But be patient, and, uh, <laughs> and then I'm sure some of that old skins will also find your way into, uh, into the recycling uh, business. Wow, do you really think it would need rates to fall to 2016 levels for, let's call them elderly container ships, to be considered as scrap candidates? Uh, I would love to be proven wrong on that, uh, but uh, but it is uh, it is my expectation. Uh, we, uh, we we certainly can see uh, some ships if they if they reach uh, say a point in time where a special survey can be quite costly, uh, then uh, then then that could perhaps mean that they are pushed into a to a demolition uh, situation. But but then again, these ships, as old as they may be and as as pricey as they uh, they they have been uh, when when buying as long as they make money in the market. That's what matters. I mean, if you have uh, $700 per lightweight ton right now for, for a container ship, it, it's it's not that much money. I mean, you're paying 70 million plus for, for quite old ships right now. Uh, so even at, uh, at, at that price, you will not necessarily get more than, say, 
seven, nine million, depending on on the ship type and of course how much steel it actually contains. Uh, so, uh, so a lot of decision making always goes into this. But but if we were to see, say, a more say bullish approach from from global ship owners, uh, that would be perhaps to um, to do a little bit of say. Uh, Good for the uh, the environment, saying that okay, we let go of the the old skins perhaps a little bit earlier than we would otherwise do because uh, the uh, environmental damage is it is calling uh, and causing because they are also uh, say those ships that uh, that deliver most poorly on the say carbon footprint when uh, when transporting uh, goods around the world. Uh, so so that may also be chip in there, but again. I mean, the volume that you could expect from the container shipping industry to feed into to the recycling of, of shipping markets is not enormous. Some of the older ships will presumably be facing expensive dockings or emission-related upgrades in the next year or so. Now, are the rates going forward enough to keep even those vessels on the water when an arguably more environmentally friendly solution would be to recycle? If it, if it makes sense economically, I'm pretty sure that they will all spend the money in order to make the money afterwards. No one in uh, in the shipping industry to uh, to to this day have uh, have scrapped ships uh, just to uh, to do good. I'm afraid. Uh, so uh, so it needs to make sense all the way around. And often, of course, uh, these ships that uh, that are you can say long overdue uh, in terms of, uh, of of spending more time on the beach than uh, than on the high seas. Uh, are also the uh, uh, the ships that perform worst in in terms of any metric that uh, that you may uh, bring around. So so obviously, if you have really have a, a gas guzzler that uh, that is uh, that is uh, also perhaps coming uh, say off its uh, its trading environment, and where you uh, you as a liner find say no alternatives to redeploy that ship go ahead and sell it for recycling and, and get rid of it uh, because at the end of the day it may also just be uh, say a, a troublesome uh, investment uh, if you constantly need that ship in a uh, say repair yard in order just to flip it for uh, another couple of months before markets will eventually come down also because I mean freight markets will also come down at some point and they cannot stay at this level uh, forever uh, there are indications of course not only by say more new shipping capacity coming uh, on stream in uh, 2023 and 2024 mostly, but also 2025. So there's plenty of, say, new, more modern ships that uh, that are likely to to come in and step in, of course. Uh, and uh, and that is, of course, also to uh, pushing out all skins. Right. Well, now that I have you here, I wonder if we could speak very briefly about the battle for Euronav. I appreciate you're not following the tanker segment on a day-to-day basis, but what are your thoughts about the compatibility of Frontline and Euronav? And I mean, what is it, a merger, a takeover, or what? I uh, I find uh, great interest in uh, in following the whereabouts of uh, John Fredrickson and, and also the the other big names and, and, and big uh, capital managers uh, in the industry because some you can see work in brilliant ways some you can see work uh, with say a different set of mind in in order to say attract investor money and then do something else with the, with that money i think john Fredrickson is as a part of the the mainstays in the market that put his own money where his mouth is uh, and i wish him and you're now all the best for their merger Without doubt, if, if you are to do anything in the oil tanker market, uh, you need scale and you need global presence. 
I think they are now also setting up at least to, to battle the big Chinese uh, oil uh, tanker companies, uh, which uh, otherwise, uh, say, uh, set the scene at least for, for the bigger, uh, say, far uh, eastern uh, market uh, where most, say, oil demand for tankers are, are growing at that moment. So, uh, so I think it's a super interesting development. I don't think it will have, say, a huge impact on the demolition markets uh, for, for oil tankers. That's, again, something else that, that drives that poor markets and, 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 and say, owners running out of, of cash. But I think at least the oil tanker uh, owners and operators still have some uh, money left uh, on the, uh, the books following the breakdown of uh, the OPEC Plus Alliance, uh, I guess, almost two years ago now that brought around really windfall profits to the entire oil tanker business. I love the, the oil tanker business also because it's, it's just a super fun power play. A lot of big guys around also doing some fun stuff. So I wish them all the best and, uh, and we'll follow them on the sidelines going forward. Definitely. Peter, thanks again for joining us on the podcast this week. I always take away something really useful from your comments. So uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you so much for having me and to all your kind uh, listeners. Uh, thank you so much for your kind attention. It's been a pleasure. For me too. And thank you for downloading this podcast. We love getting your feedback. So please do drop us a line at bd at gmsinc.net and let us know what you think. 